Julia is here. Those of you with children can meet her at the back for your Bible bags. The rest of us, let's turn to Romans chapter 7. We're spending the summer primarily in the Psalms, but we're going to Romans today as the lectionary takes us for this communion Sunday in a direction of the healing of sin. And what does that look like? And what is sin? And how does it overcome us? We're going to start with the 15th verse in just a little bit and go through the 25th verse. Romans chapter 7, 15. As you know, Cheryl and I uh, took a road trip back to be with our kids in Illinois. It's about 30 hours on the road. And so one of the things that we do is that we listen to books on tape. So we're all educated now. We've listened to a bunch of them. And one of them that we listened to was Philip Yancey's What Good is God? And it was subtitled, In Search of a Faith that Matters. It's a fascinating book. I I highly recommend it to you. He went all over the world in all different kinds of circumstances, demonstrating how God's love and his presence and his truth and his power is changing the world in a whole variety of ways. And it was just a wonderful work. But for our purposes this morning, I want to take you to his 18th and his 19th chapter, where he talks about how the only thing that we know currently that's healing addictions is the 12-step program. And the 12-step program he primarily focused on is the AA, or Alcoholics Anonymous. He quoted the verses that we're about to read, which Paul wrote, And he notes that the only true solution to addictions of all kind, and and you could generally put this uh, together, is to go back to the core of all brokenness. And that is what we call sin addiction. And he also notes that the first steps to addressing any kind of addiction, including this core addiction of sin addiction, are the first three steps of AA. We need to admit to confess, to say the truth, to be honest about the fact that we're powerless over our addictions. And then we need to believe in a power greater than ourselves that can restore us. And then making our decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. So we have this wonderful honesty, this wonderful humility, this wonderful surrender to God such that we are now in the care of God. Now, all of the 12 steps are important in the process. That's why I printed them for you, and and I found a website where it had some of the Bible verses. Some of them are more appropriate than others as you think through the 12 steps. And all of them are important in the journey. That's only the beginning. These first three steps are. But for a whole variety of reasons, we are often stuck with our sin. And we are stuck with our sin because we oftentimes either deny it and, and act as though it's not true or excuse it and explain why for us it was okay or we couldn't help it or something like that. Or, in fact, we come to a place where our addicted minds are not willing to be humble and we have this great pride in our sinfulness and it takes over our lives in ways that are very Uh, unpredictable as well as predictable. And we struggle then, body, mind, and soul. And we end up with a a life, even as a Christian, that just kind of manages our sin, kind of keeps it under control enough so that we can be uh, a follower of Christ. But we're not really free from it 
It's something that we struggle with every day and at the depth of our lives. Now, what is extremely helpful about the Bible is that it is completely honest. It, it doesn't whitewash anything or anyone. The people described within it, these great heroes of our faith, the lives of people who the Bible says following God, and this, these are the people that God wants, are clearly flawed. Uh, they clearly struggle. And they're clearly broken. Uh, Paul himself, the author of these verses that we're about to read, is the primary model upon whom we base Christian ministry. He's the, the primary author of the epistles of the New Testament. So he is a person that God has used dramatically. And yet here in his own words, he says that he doesn't do what he wants to do and he does what he doesn't want to do and that he's in the midst of this, this struggle with sin. And so these verses of, of honesty and honest uh, uh, statement about who we are and what it means to follow the Christian life is very helpful. It's very helpful for each of us in, in the model of how we should uh, be honest before God and then humble as we seek his power and then surrender our lives and our will over to him so that he can do a work within our hearts. So let's read this section. This comes from Romans. Romans is the, the, the wonderful, as they say, seminary in one book. It's the great uh, uh, theological work of the New Testament and of Paul's writings. We're going to start with verse 15 of the uh, seventh chapter. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, all of us experience this sinfulness that so plagues humanity it is not them, it's me, it's us, it's all of us. And we're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of Jesus Christ and this higher power that can transform us. We thank you that we can come to you this day and we thank you that you have made yourself available. We thank you that you, you instituted the sacrament, this wonderful healing balm that is creative in its nature such that it does create within us new creatures. 
And so we ask today as we participate in the sacrament that you would allow each of us to experience the healing you have for us this day. And of course, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first began counseling many decades ago now, the way we spoke of addiction was to describe the individual as two, two people, as though they were two persons. We would talk, first of all, as the true human being that wanted to live a life without any of this addictive behavior. And then we would talk about the addict. And the addict was the one who would often slip in and confuse and, and cause us to behave in ways that we did not want to do and cause us to do things uh, that were against our very commitments, our very values, our very principles as an individual. And so we're going along and, and everything's loving and kind and everything's good and then suddenly the addict would take over as though it was a dual personality disorder. And we would have this individual that would take over and destroy our lives or our marriages or our careers or our health. Now, interestingly, in the latest neurobiology, neuropsychology, and the neurology of addiction, we find that the language that Paul uses here about 2,000 years ago is far more appropriate to our latest understanding of addiction than was this addictive theory that we had just a few years ago. Paul does not divide himself into two persons, a good and a bad that are battling out each other, but rather he says that the war is within himself. In verse 21, he describes it as a war between his inner being that delights in God's law, which he identifies as being within the mind, and that part of himself that's a prisoner of the law of sin, which he identifies as with the body. Now, at first you might think, well, Paul has just succumbed to the Greek uh, philosophers who say that the soul is good and the body is bad. But that is not what Paul is saying. He is saying that within this singular human being, within me, within you, within each individual, created in the image of God, this union of mind and body, there is a war within us. In the most recent understandings coming from the increase in emphasis of the neuroscience field, and you remember that in the 1990s, our nation under President Bush decided to have the decade of the brain. And we focused millions and millions of dollars in understanding the brain and how the brain works and this whole new MRI imaging and what we now understand about addictive behaviors and about all kinds of characteristics from aggression and anger and heredity and all of that came out of that, that emphasis. But we realized pretty quickly that the brain wasn't all that is happening. So now we are in the midst of the decade of the mind and it's an international research now. They're hoping to spend $4 billion to understand the soul and how does the soul interact with the brain and what is the mind and what's the self and how do you have self-control over the, the brain itself and all of that. And so we're in the midst of a, a tremendous season and we're going to see lots of things happening in the next eight years as we complete this decade. Understanding what self-control is, what thoughtfulness is, is something that's going to add greatly uh, to our understanding. 
But with this research that we have up to this point, we now understand neurobiologically that our brains are at war within us when we are addictive, when we have become enslaved, captured, as Paul describes it, to some addiction. And the top three sins identified throughout all time, money, sex, and power, are deeply embedded, we have discovered, within the core of the brain in such a way that we actually war with this primitive, this, this reptilian brain with the outer cortex of our lives. It's this outer cortex, the frontal lobes, the, the neocortex, that causes us to be a human being, to be able to think, to be able to make decisions, moral decisions. And we discover that when we are addicted, these outer neocortex becomes darkened, disengaged, as though it's turned off. And this primitive brain takes over. And the ability to choose our behavior becomes lessened as this instinctual uh, desire to survive by the use of the addiction takes over. Now what is interesting is that, as our research has shown us, is that what we know about our MRI imaging and what we know about ourselves and what we know about addiction is that this is us that's having this war. And we are not two people. We do not struggle with something else. We struggle within ourselves. As the limbic and reptilian systems, these core bodily functions deep within our brain, where sex and pleasure and survival and power and aggression and dominance live, in those deeper places within you and me, they now take over. And now we have anger addiction, and now we have aggression, and now we have all kinds of, of uh, distorted lives that are not well-lived and well-thought and under self-control, as we talked about the, the fruit of the Spirit. But although we know that, and there's, there's not now confusion about what went wrong, within the sciences there is not yet an understanding of how to fix it. There's no uh, process. They've tried a lot of different kinds of things to try to, to reprogram the brain. I just sat with somebody who is, who is looking at that from a whole procedural process, and I'm hoping that it will be uh, helpful and effective. But the, the difficulty is that this person is not just a brain, we are a self. We are an eternal self. We're a spiritual self. And it's only we've, dis we've seen so far that God at work within us that we can be set free from that. And so that brings us back to the power of God to heal us. It's no coincidence uh, that the words and behaviors that change us are the words of the Holy Sacrament the words of salvation. The core of the Christian faith. Step one, honesty. Confession. Confession simply means to say the truth about who we are. To be honest with God, to be honest with ourselves, and to be honest with others. Confessing our sins. Step two, acknowledging that we need help that if we're going to be healed, we are not all-powerful and we can't even control our own brains. 
Step three, surrender to God and his will. Let God be God. As Doug and Colleen and I taught over the last three weeks, the lectionary has placed us clearly within this understanding that God is God. We're not, and we need God if we're going to even begin to live the Christian life and begin to be in self-control and peace and joy as the fruit of the, dis of the uh, Spirit live out within us. God is God. We're not. And so it's not about me. It's not about my reptilian brain. It's not about my addicted brain. It's not even about my neocortex. It's about God's grace at work within me to fix that detachment. We've, I just saw an article recently in which we've talked about this addicted brain being a broken brain, that this control of the neocortex over these reptilian desires gets broken. But this individual said it's not actually broken, it's working very well, it's just that we've learned by teaching this reptilian brain that it's in charge. And we've overlearned the primitive sin. And so we have in fact learned that sin is the core of who we are. And that is so true to what the scriptures are saying and what the, the sacrament itself is saying. As we enter the time of sacrament, we are entering the deepest parts of our brains, of ourselves, of our souls. We are surrendering to the only power greater than a human being, the saving, healing, sanctifying power of God. Now, this healing is available to everyone. As free Methodists, we serve open communion, and by that, we mean that any person who wants to be healed by Jesus Christ is welcome to participate in this most sacred act that we do. For we believe this is the saving presence of God at work within you and within me in this ongoing removal of that which destroys us. Whatever word you want to use, sin, addiction, selfishness, self-absorbed, whatever word you want to use, the Holy Spirit is at work within us as we confess, as we ask for forgiveness, as we ask for cleansing, as we ask to live this newness of life that God intends for his people to experience as we walk our path. The sacrament itself is meant to be experienced as daily bread. Every time you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. It's meant to, be, to ask to be led not into temptation, but to be delivered from evil. It's a moment in which God is at work in all the, the recesses of our brain and mind and soul as we come before God. So this morning as we enter into this place, every one of you are welcome to experience the healing of Jesus Christ. He gave everything so that you can become who he created you to be. So if this invitation is the invitation you accept, then we in invite you to join us in this sacred act. Hear now the invitation of the sacrament to all of you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins who live in love and peace with your neighbors, and who intend to lead a new life, 
following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways. Then draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. And humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Let us confess together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we confess that we have sinned, and we are deeply grieved as we remember the wickedness of our past lives. We have sinned against you, your holiness and your love, and we deserve only your indignation and anger. We sincerely repent, and we are genuinely sorry for all wrongdoing and every failure to do the things we should. Our hearts are grieved, and we acknowledge that we are hopeless without your grace. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Give us strength to serve and please you in newness of life and to honor and praise your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the prayer our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. O Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who with great mercy has promised forgiveness to all who turn to you with hearty repentance and true faith, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from our sins, make us strong and faithful in all goodness, and bring us to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the collect. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is always right and proper and our moral duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the inhabitants of heaven, we honor and adore your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord Most High. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world